Today on the podcast, I want to review The Free World, Art and Thought in the Cold War, A Cultural History of the Cold War, by Louis Menand, author of The Metaphysical Club. Louis Menand has just published a dizzying and brave effort to encompass the entirety of what he loosely calls Cold War Thought. You know that an author's territory is going to be sprawling and expansive when his subject has to be supported by not one, but two subtitles under the title The Free World. He has the dual subheadings of A Cultural History of the Cold War and Art and Culture in the Cold War. It's too ambitious a climb, even for 800 pages, and Renan never quite makes it to the summit. He traces so many artists, writers, critics, performers, and what we would today call influencers, that he has trouble explaining what they all have in common. It is clear that they all believed in freedom, to be sure, but none of them can quite agree on what it means to be free. It reminds one of Winston Churchill's famous complaint about a dessert he once ate, the pudding has no theme. In many ways, it's a thrilling read, never boring, but you keep looking in vain for the common thread that he is pulling on. My best guess is that the connection between such figures as Jackson Pollock, Hannah Arendt, Isaiah Berlin, Susan Sontag, Lionel Trilling, and the rest of the pathbreakers who populate these pages is at their most idealistic. They were embarked on an effort to achieve the goals of rationalist thinking and individual freedom while integrating the truth that the world they lived in was based on realism and randomness. At their most human, however, money and fame drove them as it did their predecessors and their successors. The balance was different for each of these leading lights. In the case of the Beatles and Elvis Presley, common sense was the driver in the case of Elvis, and money in the case of the Beatles. Perhaps Menand means something other than these reflections, which is exactly the point. It's a book about the trees rather than about the forest. He makes clear that the tremendous driver of economic change and American credibility in 1945 and after fueled the explosion of genius and experimentation described in the book. It is not really about the Cold War. Indeed, Menand is only interested in the 20 years ending in 1965, which represents only the most dangerous years of the Cold War. But it is not about politics. It is about how the United States, for one brief, glaring moment, was slowly transformed from a nation politically admired but culturally scorned in 1945 to one in which those attributes were completely flipped. The one constant was the new and, until 1965, continuous situation of the United States as the world capital of global culture. Since 1965, culture itself has become global, with no single city its home. These are trenchant observations, and Menand makes the ideas of his specific characters clear, if not what, if anything, binds them together. This is no small achievement. I suspect that very few readers outside the rarefied world of the literati know what Jackson Pollock was trying to say with his drip paintings, or John Cage with his musical compositions of silence. Arendt and the Beatles are more familiar to readers, 
But who knew that John Lennon was such a cynical yet sure critic of the times in which he lived? It is a pleasure for readers of a certain age to read about the Beatles, for example. Having been exposed to fragments of their cultural meaning, Menand puts the pieces together and shows us how they came to be and what they meant to the culture and to ourselves. For these readers, and I am one of them, the free world is a triptych back to a time we experienced too closely to understand and never really knew. Thanks to Menand's most original book, The Free World does much to explain a world now rapidly receding from view. The brilliance of the explanations we catch thanks to his writing makes us all the hungrier for those about which the author is frustratingly silent.